Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to make your way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, if you were in our Sunday school class, we would start saying the books of the Bible in order until we got to that book we were studying. And so this is as easy as it gets. We start today with what? Genesis. There you are. You already made your way, right? And so, again, um, just want to encourage you. So, so kind of asking maybe like, well, why Genesis? Why now? Well, one of the things that Brother Todd and I are trying to intentionally do and labor in our time here is um, we are compelled to preach the whole counsel of God. And the reality is if God wills and you and I live long enough, that's what we're going to strive to do is to preach book by book until we conquer it all in that sense. But also what we see is the Bible has sections that often cover right different things. And so you might have a section on prophets or you might have a section of wisdom and poetry or prophecy, right, or the gospels or letters which are called epistles and and one of the sections we have in the bible is called the law and as brother Todd and i look back and we, we look back toward all right we've been in this role since 2008 and brother Todd's now been here about 10 years and as we looked and began to survey what books have we preached through we realized there was one glaring hole we've yet to preach anything from the law and when the law is simply the first five books right we may have heard it called the pentateuch right pentagon five right genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and so we just began to pray, God, what would you have us? How might we preach? And, and we just felt like, man, if, if we were going to preach from one book in that section, we thought wisdom would dictate that we preach through the book of Genesis. And so in some ways, it's, it's like this, this, this hope or excitement that, man, over this last many years, and, and you all, some of you have been laboring with us all that time. Some of you were here before we got here. And again, some of you have been laboring with us this whole time. Some of you have joined the journey along the way. But man, it's been our heart to preach to you the whole counsel of God. And so in some way, Genesis kind of brings some type of fulfillment to that. Even though there's so much still left to do and we're excited, man, there's a beauty to that. So this morning we begin, and, and I had this sheet up here. I was going to show it while I talked about that. But again, if you've ever wondered what are those sections, well, guess what? It's, if your kid's in Sunday school, they're going to have something like this that they're going to be able to take home with them. But again, there it is if you want to check it out after church. But I, I want to talk to you today as we begin here in Genesis chapter 1, just simply in the beginning, okay? So let's look at it. In the beginning, God. Most of you know that back in November, Emily and I had an opportunity to, to go and travel to Kenya and be a part of, of a mission trip there. And uh, man, it was an exciting time. And the last day, we, we got an opportunity to take the missionaries that we were staying with and their kiddos. And we went out on a safari. And some of you guys were here and you saw pictures of that. And man, it was just, it was a, a pretty cool time. And and one of the things we were watching is, is there was this this the lions that were there we kind of rolled up on them and, and there was a mama and they were playing the cubs and then man the scene kind of changed like you could kind of just start to see the difference right and, and like the intended the attention that they were giving and before we knew it there was another lion out here moving I mean, you could barely see it because of of the grass and how it just kind of blended in but you could see this figure moving and then we began to see some type of prey and we we're watching this scene unfold and so so we're watching this mom and the cubs and she's paying attention and we've been watching for probably 15 minutes. And we're like, well, I wonder what the other one's doing. And we watch. And as we're watching, maybe like just in two minutes of looking away, all of a sudden we hear everybody like, oh, oh, oh. And we're like, well, what is it? What is it? And we miss the kill. We miss the moment. It was right before our eyes, like that cool moment of, of, of seeing. Again, some of you, that may offend you, but that's not my intention, right? Is the reality is we had missed this, this moment that was happening right before our eyes. And I think that's what's happening with Genesis. You see, the author of Genesis is Moses. And he's, as he's there with the people and, and he's walking with them, right? This is somewhere about 2000 BC or so. And he's talking, he's leading the people of Israel, right? They've come out of Egypt and they're headed toward the promised land and they're making their way through the wilderness. 
And they're, as they are aware, they're, they're encountering so many gods, right? And some of them are wanting to go back to Egypt to, to be a part of, of all that false god worship and everything with Pharaoh. And Moses writes the book of Genesis to say to them, guys, you're missing it. Look at who our God is. He's right before our eyes and we're missing it. Focus your attention on who this true, the one true living God is. And that's how Moses begins. He begins with just simply that, that those words, that refrain. That's probably, again, this is probably the most familiar Bible verse of, to everyone on the planet, I'm assuming. right? I know John 3.16 is one that gets repeated a lot. But I'm guessing if anybody could quote one verse, it's probably this. Let's say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Most people know it. I mean, again, if, even if you have little familiarity with the Bible and church and, and all of that, you know that. And so I think, again, it's, it's one of the things as we look here in the text is that we have a tendency, even though it's right before our eyes, who this God is, we miss it. We fail to see His glory and the greatness. And so Moses says to us, I think what the psalmist says to us, the creation declares the glory of God. The creation declares the glory of God. And that's what we're going to, that's going to be at the heart of Genesis 1-1. Today, right again, sometimes we cover an entire chapter. Today we're covering one verse. In the beginning, God. I want you to wrestle with that and hear that truth. And so let's dive into that today and, and see what all is here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The opening words, right? In the beginning, God. In some way, right? Those words itself probably remind you of like how books or stories or movies often begin, right? Especially for children. They talk about once what? Once upon a time, right? Those are fairy tales. This is truth. In the beginning, God. The first truth we see is that we believe in the God who is eternal. We believe in the God who is eternal. Listen to what it says there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right, when we see just simply that refrain there of, in the beginning, we need to ask, like, well, what beginning? What's this indicating or what's this saying to us that there's a, a beginning? And I think it's a reminder to us that there was a time when time and space and matter didn't exist. There's like a time before, like, all the creation. Because that's what he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which indicates there was a time when the heavens and the earth didn't exist. I mean, if you try to start rattling your brain around that, it's probably going to make your head like start to hurt a little bit right here. But Genesis 1-1 says that prior to the beginning of creation, God existed. In the beginning, God was there. Prior to anything, time, space, or matter, God was there. And He is the creator of everything. And you know what? That includes us. It includes even the angels. It includes even the fallen angels. And Satan is one of those. I want us to be really clear up front. Satan is not God. He is not like God. He is a created being. And so from the very beginning, the Bible says that marks out God is unique, is different. This God is eternal. Why? Because this God was never created. God has no beginning. God is eternal. You see, back in the Enlightenment, scientists were, were somehow convinced that, that the universe was eternal, that it just had always existed. But MIT had released later on that things be began to change. And they said that, that there, was, there was this understanding among cosmologists that things were changing. There was a shift. And the reason why is they began to realize that actually creation had a beginning. And why do they think that? Because of how the universe was expanding. It indicated that, guess what? At some point, something had to begin this, that everything else now is expanding or being created out of that. Like, what's happening here? 
I mean, so again, the scientists were saying what the Bible's been saying forever, that God actually created it, that there was a beginning. And it was God who did that. I mean, imagine this for a moment. Like, my boys, man, they love Legos. Let's imagine today that you have this massive bag of Legos, right, just all here. You could take that bad boy, shake it up, turn it upside down, kick it around, do whatever, and pull it out. And I tell you, you can do that till eternity comes. And it'll never pull out a spaceship. It just won't happen. Why? Because we all know that if amongst those random bunch of Legos, if a spaceship is going to come out, someone has to take intentionality to create it. The Bible's saying to us, guys, this isn't random. This isn't random. This is our creator God. Our God who is doing what no one else can do. And it says, guess what? Since the universe is expanding, it's an indication that it had to have a beginning. Now, now, again, science has an explanation for this. And one of that is what maybe you've heard of as the Big Bang Theory. Listen to how NASA on their website defines the Big Bang Theory. When the universe began, it was just hot, tiny particles mixed with light and energy. Notice that again. They acknowledge the universe had a beginning. But when it did, it said it was just hot, tiny particles mixed with light and energy. But I think as, as biblicists, right, that's not the right word, but anyway, as those who are faithful to the biblical text and as we look to God and His Word and what the creation says, we have to ask maybe just a question. Even if you're not necessarily a believer today and you don't hold to the truth of the Scriptures, I think it would be right for you to ask this logical question. Well, where did all those tiny particles come from? How did they begin? Like, let's go deeper. Like, okay, if there's a beginning that, that they says the Big Bang Theory and there's tiny particles and they came together and bam, this explosion, all this stuff happened and like the, the earth is just the perfect distance from the sun. Our, our axis is tilted just right where we can live and sustain life and all those things. Like, let's, let's throw all that out. Let's just ask a question simply. If there was all these tiny particles when it began, then like, well, where did they come from? Who started that? You see, I think the reality is as we come to Genesis, as we study creation, you can just believe that everything happened by random. Or you can ask some deeper questions that I think come to a reality that, guess what, the Bible actually has something to say about creation. That there's a God who was in the beginning who created everything. And it, the Bible says that this God is almighty. He is eternal. He is the God from the beginning. In fact, that's why we, as those under the authority of God's Word, we are people that say, in the beginning, God. That's our whole fast truth. That is our anchor. It is God alone. Listen to what Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world. So he says, listen, before anything was created, look what Moses says. From everlasting to everlasting, what? You're God. Moses says, man, you're eternal. There's no one else like you. Before the world was even formed, you have always been God. I think this maybe says something to us for a moment. That we are not pantheists. All right? And, and again, Genesis just dictates you have to deal with some words, okay? And, and just but simple. Think about it, right? The word pan indicates all and theist equals God. And so pantheists believe that everything is God. Like that tree is God. The butterfly's God, that bird's granny. Like, I mean, like, they have all this thought, like, re reincarnation starts to come into it. Like, all this thought of all these things in creation, that's God, that's God, that's God. The Bible says, no, it's not. And as believers, stop saying that. I need to be gentle, man, but, dude, I hear that stuff, and I'm like, that's not granny. Come on, yo. 
that bird or that butterfly or that sunset is God. No, it's not. God, He's separate from the creation. When we do that, we are, we are lowering the glory of our God and making Him these creatures and created things. That's not who our God is. Our God is the Creator. And we ought to worship Him as such and we ought to acknowledge Him as such. So this, just the very opening words of Genesis say, in the beginning, God says, this God is eternal. And He created all things, therefore all things cannot be God. They are just simply a work of His creation. As we saw in Romans 1, they are there to remind you and I to point our souls back to Him. So again, from the opening words of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, we realize that this God is eternal. He is, as Moses said in Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting. Secondly, we come to this truth from Genesis chapter 1. We believe in the God who is sovereign. We believe in the God who is sovereign, right? That word sovereignty is indicating God's right and power to do whatever he decides to do and no one can stop him. As Job chapter 42, Job comes to this final conclusion, all that Job's been wrestling and dealing with. We hear Job say in Job 42 verse 2, this simple statement, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing can stop you. You are the sovereign God. But isn't it interesting that when we begin here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God, that the first subject of the entire Bible is God. I mean, that kind of runs contrary to the own, our own grain in our hearts, doesn't it? Because the reality is we often think that we ought to be the first subject. As we talked in Sunday school with the kiddos today, I mean, our heart's bent is that we think that we are the center of creation. And if you don't believe that, then just mess with us. Right? Don't put me first in line. Don't give me the best food at the restaurant. Right? Don't meet my needs, spouse. Right? Mom and dad don't do what I want or kiddos don't obey me. Like, I mean, if like whatever happens and anything goes against us, right? Like, man, that referee is the reason why we lost the game or that person over there is cheating or this is doing that. Or like we always like anything, anytime someone comes against us, they mess with us. We're like, man, don't you know I'm the center of the universe? Look around. Who are you to step on me? But the Bible says that actually the first subject of the entire Bible isn't us, it's God. Now, Mark echoed these words earlier when you heard there. That word God is it's simply, if you saw it in Hebrew, it's the Elohim. That this God is, it's, it's, in some sense, it's an ordinary word. Right? I mean, when you think about who God is, I mean, if you studied recently in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is there at the burning bush and he says, well, if I go to the, the people of Israel and tell them, like, uh, you're sending me, like, what's even your name? And he says, I am who I am. It's the word we get for Yahweh. And so if you see it in your Bible, you're going to see the word LORD in all caps. That's God's personal name. But this, this way in which God is spoken of here in the beginning, God, is, is somewhat, it's just ordinary. And I think it's important, though, because why? Because in our culture, we've come to the place where, guess what? God can mean whatever it wants to mean to me. If that's what I think God is, and that's what God is. Why? Because all truth is relative. But the Bible has something to say to us. It says, listen, this God is unique. He's different. This God of creation, as we'll see in weeks to come, Lord willing, He speaks and the creation leaps into existence. This God is Elohim. He is the sovereign creator. There is, again, He can do whatever He pleases. And listen, guys, this means that God has sovereignly made all things, including all people. And this means that He can't be some simple tribal deity. 
This is the God of all creation. He's the God of the world, the universe. And I think that has some major implications for our lives. I think it'll give us just one. Because God is the sovereign creator and he alone created all things, that makes God and the Bible the source of authority on creation. Right? I mean, if you're the God of the universe and you're the sovereign one who created it all, then it seems it would make the most sense to go to you and say, what do you have to say about your creation? Right? I mean, like that old adage you probably hear, like, man, just go to the source. Right? Like, I mean, quit hearing about all these other things. Like, let's just go to the source. And the Bible submits or presents before us, there's this sovereign God, and he's the one who created all things, and we ought to go to him. Now, this doesn't dismiss science, as we're going to see next week, and as we start walking through how creation unfolded in the different days and how you interpret that. And we're going to see that, guess what? There's going to be believers in this room that are going to disagree on that, and that's okay. So again, this doesn't dismiss science in any way, but it also gives us a bearing, a home place, an anchor to say, man, this is the lens and through which I view the world. It's through the truth of God's word. Why? Because I know that God, as the scriptures say, it is impossible for God to lie. I am trusting in my God. Even when sometimes I can't make sense of everything or explain everything, I'm going to trust that God is the one whom I'm looking and believing in. So it's there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God, that we see that our God is eternal and that he is sovereign. But Moses shows us further. And I, yeah, I just kind of went over that there. Look what he says. Believe in the God who is triune. We believe in the God who is triune. That, that word indicates, right, this, this trinity. Why do we say that? Well, if you look at the word here, God, in the Hebrew, it's actually plural, right? Elohim is plural. Now, this doesn't mean that Moses is confused. Why? Because, and I passed over it there, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 simply says this. It's one of the most familiar texts in the entire Old Testament for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? He's one. Right? So Moses hasn't gotten confused in saying that, guess what, that this God who is this plurality, right, seemingly in some way, speaking of this, this in the beginning God, right, this plural Hebrew word, and now he says the Lord is one. Moses isn't confused in saying that, well, that creation happened because there's many gods or God's one among many. That's not at all what he's saying. Now, there's some complexity to this word, but I think that what happens is, is we begin to walk through the rest of the Bible we begin to see a for this is just simply a foretaste revealing to us who God is. Why? Because if you get to the next verse, you see that in verse 2 of Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God is there hovering over the waters. And then you come to verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In other words, you can't separate God from his word or from his spirit. This trinity, right, again, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit lacking clarity. Let's just be honest, in the Old Testament. But, man, when we come to the New Testament, all of a sudden it's like, bam, front windshield. And it's like, what wasn't as clear there, we're starting to see. In fact, the same thing we could say is what's not so clear about God, who God is, man, we see it full display in Jesus Christ. As Hebrews says, he is the exact representation of God's being. If you have seen Christ, Jesus says, then you've seen the Father. And so the beauty of who he is, and so when we begin to see this word here, in the beginning God, and realize that it's revealing something to us. It's, it's starting to show us about who our God is. And so again, what's not so clear here, though, becomes to have greater clarity in the New Testament. If you were with us back at Christmas, we simply spent one Sunday throughout the month of December walking through each book, just simply saying, how did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John begin their Gospels, and what does it tell us about how the birth or the life of Christ began? And if you were with us in John chapter 1, what you heard in John 1, 1 was simply this statement. In the beginning 
was the word. And you heard that and you're like, dude, that sounds just like Genesis 1-1. And John would say, you got it. That's what I was doing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's saying that back in the beginning, when you see Elohim, I want you to know this God is, yes, one God. But he is revealed as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you would think, man, as you read John chapter 1, right, it says there in verse 2 that he, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. You say, oh, man, the Creator, God, has become flesh. The Word's become flesh. God's, He's shown up on the scene. Surely everybody's going to be like, dude, God, you've come. But it only takes to verse 10 of John chapter 1 when we hear this statement. And though the world was made through him, the world rejected him. Though the world was made through him, the world rejected him. They didn't recognize him. I think it warns all of us, man, that we are so tempted, just like Emily and I, to get our eyes off just for a moment and you miss the moment. The temptation of all of us to think, oh man, well, if God would just show up, if he would just do this, then I would believe. There was the creator God in the flesh, the one who had created the world. He's in the flesh, God the Son, the Word of God. And the Bible says that though the world was created through him, they did not recognize him or receive him. You see, our culture loves to celebrate our great thinking and logic, but Romans 1 calls this the supreme mark of our rebellion. It's our suppression of the truth. You see, since God is sovereign, he is able to ensure that his son is going to come and live that sinless life to die on the cross and be buried on the third day by the power of God, be raised again so that everyone in this room who's willing to repent and believe the good news is you don't have to perish. You can have everlasting life. The creator, you you see how Christianity is different from all the religions. All the religions say you got to make your way to God. Christianity says, no, 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 that'll never happen. You'll never do it. You could never make it on there on your own. Christianity is different because it says that our God came to us. And he lives the life that you and I could never live. And he dies in our place as our substitute. Guess what? Taking the judgment of God. God's judgment hasn't changed. There's just one who's willing to die in our place to appease, to satisfy that judgment. We are saved not despite of judgment, but through judgment. And it's the Son of God, the Creator, who's become flesh. He's died in our place. I mean, that's amazing, mind-boggling truth. But guys, that's who our God is. In the beginning, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are barely into Genesis. Four words in. Do you see how God is exploding from the pages? This eternal, sovereign, triune God. And guess what? They're not finished. Notice what else? We believe in the God who is all-powerful. That word all-powerful flows from a a technical word, right? People talk about omnipotent, right? Well, what's that even mean? Well, the word omni just indicates all and potency indicates power. He's what? All-powerful, right? There it is, really simple. So again, when you see that word or hear that word, you think, what's that mean? Well, omni, again, it just means all and potency is power. And so guess what? That's what this God is. Why? How do we know that? Because look what it says. In the beginning, God, what did God do, church? He created, didn't he? He created. The word create is used consistently in the Old Testament with this idea of something new being made. And in this case, he says that he created the heavens and the earth. It's an indication or way of speaking. It's saying that God made everything. God made everything. What's also interesting about this word create is it always has God as its subject. 
that God is the one who's doing the creating. This, this is not the act of man or the most powerful person on the face of the earth. This is God acting. Now, what's interesting about this is, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and scholars are saying, well, in the beginning, what was there? There was nothing. And so God creates the world out of nothing or from nothing. And so maybe you've heard that Latin phrase at some point, ex nihilo, and you're like, what in the world? It just simply means out of nothing. Scholars say, listen, guess what? There was nothing from which to create, and God shows up and displays his glory by doing what? Creating everything from nothing. This is an all-powerful God. Want me to prove it to you? Think right now about a taco. Think about the shell. Some, who, who, who's a hard person, hard shell? Who's soft? Yeah? All right? So you got beef, you got your chicken, your steak, whatever you want in there, right? Some of you, I know, you're getting fruity with some crazy stuff. I can't go there. But anyway, listen, others, I mean, you got lettuce and cheese and tomato, and you're like, man, even now, you're like, bro, I'm eating Mexican today. But here's the truth. You and I can think about tacos all we want to think about them. We can talk about it to the place we can almost smell it and taste it. But the reality is we'll never create it. We can't just all of a sudden like think it and like, bam, it's there. Right? I mean, think about that imagery, right, of like that, I guess that State Farm commercial, like, I want a hot tub, bam, it's there. Like, I mean, listen, we all want to maybe live in that reality, but none of us are able And so the Bible says to us, but there is one who has that power. He is the all-powerful God of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Church, what we're saying is the very words we sang this morning. Behold your God. Man, does it move you to bow your knee and your face and say, I am not like him. Whoa. You see, what I think we need to say today is our view of a big God is not nearly big enough. Our view of a big God is not nearly big enough, beloved. He, he starts exploding our categories and everything we try to contain him with. He's amazing. Psalm 115 verse 3 simply says this, Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And our sinful hearts can get really puffed up at that. Until you realize that the God who's in heaven is a God who is holy and righteous and good. And he does good. He never does sinful or wrong he always does good and so again this god is all powerful and mighty imagine this think about maybe one day this past week or recently you probably had a hard day at work and you just thought man i cannot wait to get home and rest some of you right you you work out you exercise and afterwards you're like dude i just got to sit down for a few some of you like man you keep up with kiddos and you're just like man i'm exhausted just let me sit down for a few others of you just the season of life you're in you're aging and man taking a trip to the store and coming back you're just like i gotta sit down and rest for a little bit it's just a reality of life the stage you're in but every single one of those no matter how young you are or how old you are says simply this you aren't god you aren't god the fact today that you're fatigued some i can see you're more than others right but we're fatigued we're weak and guess what our god is all powerful and you know what that says he doesn't have to exercise to get stronger god doesn't have to go take a nap this week to get refreshed or like man i'm really tired today guess what here's the good news church that through faith in Christ, we have access to that all-powerful God. Brother Todd, man, that, that, was, that, was, that was smooth, man, earlier, just thinking about through the different boats we're in. I hadn't considered that. But, man, think about that. Some of you, again, you're facing something today that feels like a mountain. It feels too big to climb. It has the word to it, class, or some test that's coming up. For some of you, it just seems too big, right? You've got that surgery or, or that diagnosis that's standing against you. 
Others of you, it's the habit that, man, you just can't seem to break. It just like constantly like, oh, I can't believe that. For others of you, it's a, it's a broken relationship in your lives. And it's just like, I don't think that'll ever get better. I think the Bible says to us in this moment that this in the beginning God who created the heavens and the earth, it says, come to him. Come to him. You can't weather that storm. You don't have the power and the strength, but there is a sure and steady anchor. Come to him today, crying out to him, oh God, help me. I'll never pass that test apart from you. Oh God, I'll never make it through this surgery or diagnosis apart from you. Oh God, I could never heal that relationship, but you could. Oh God, I can't figure out even know the way to go, but I know that you know, and you have the power to accomplish it. This ought to compel us to come to him. Genesis 1-1 is urging us to see the greatness of our God. The creation declares the glory of God. You see, we also believe in the God who is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He has all knowledge. This is who God is. How do we understand that? Well, just, again, look at the refrain. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about for a moment the wisdom it would take to create the heavens and the earth. Consider that for a moment. The knowledge it would take. Again, there's so many complexities to that. So what if we just imagine it maybe a little simpler? Think about what it would take to create maybe the neighborhood or the place around which you live. Contemplate again just for a moment how, how the elevation and how each yard is going to look and how each home is going to be structured here and how the, words, the, the roads are going to work themselves out and how you're going to get all the utilities from there to here and, and accomplish that and, and all these different things. That's just around the area in which you live. We live here in Greensburg, Kentucky. We live in the state of Kentucky. I mean, like, man, it's small. We live in amongst the country of the United States. I mean, it's, it's, it's small. Think about the world. And then you think about our world, our earth. Man, we are a blip in the midst of the Milky Way galaxy. And you know what the Milky Way galaxy is? Scientists tell us that the Milky Way galaxy is one of some two trillion other galaxies. We are the blippiest of the blippiest of the blip. And you're just thinking about your neighborhood or the area in which you live. This God has all wisdom, and how do we know it? He doesn't have to have a redo. I mean, like, I mean, I couldn't even, like, I mean, if I was just trying, like, I can't even barely, like, form the sermon, and I'm like, dude, that's not good. That's not, he creates the universe, and he has such perfect knowledge and wisdom that he doesn't need a redo. What we hear from Genesis 1, 1 or throughout Genesis 1 is this refrain, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. I mean, like, this God is unlike us. Pastor Eric Reed notes that God's wisdom isn't just his knowledge of all things, but his knowing of what is best and choosing to do that. God's wisdom is perfect, church. He doesn't make mistakes. Are you with me? Now, that has some application for a minute, doesn't it? That God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't need a redo. That says that you today are not a mistake. How he created you, that he made you male or female, that's not a mistake. God created you, in fact, the very place in which you live. If you go look, Acts 17, the place in which you live is not an accident. You may not like it. You may wish you were somewhere else today. But God's put you there, and the Bible says the reason why you are where you are is that you might seek him, that you might find him. And God, in his great love, has put you in the very place that you might find him best, that you might seek his face. Man, that is an all-wise, all-knowing God. that says to you today and I today, we are not accidents or mistakes. Our God is perfect. And so I think the question always as you read the Bible, and I hope and pray you've been seeing it throughout, but you need to ask the question just simply this, so what? So what? 
I read this about the Bible, or I'm studying the Bible each day alone, and you know, as you're teaching, preparing to teach a class, you need to be asking, so what? So what difference should this make? And I think the answer from this text is this. What should be our response to the Creator God? Worship. Worship. How do we know that? Well, guess what? Revelation chapter 4 has this imagery of looking forward into eternity. We get this glimpse. And we had this picture of these 24 elders, which represents all the faithful people of God from Old Testament to New Testament. And watch what happens. Watch how they worship God. And it, the 24 elders, verse 10 of Revelation 4, fell down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Look what he says. Four. Here's the reason why. You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. They've never got past in the beginning, God. Man, for all eternity, we're going to be worshiping the God of all creation. And let's, guess what? If that's what we're going to be doing in eternity, shouldn't we start now? Shouldn't we be giving Him worth and glory and ascribing to Him praise? And listen, that doesn't just simply include what we sing with our lips in this place. That is our Monday through Saturday outside these walls. Amen? It is a lifestyle, not something just with our lips. It's with our lives as well. But man, that's the beauty of who this God is. You see, I realize that there are some in this room that, man, that just this text in itself... It presses against places in your heart, mindsets that you have about how you approach God or how you believe about creation or who He is. Pastor John MacArthur once said these words, If God can be separated from the origins, from Genesis, from the creation, then we can be separated from God. And if we can be separated from God, we don't have to worry about sin, guilt, and judgment, and then we are free to do whatever we want. You see, I think that most people don't have a problem with in the beginning. It's just that next word that comes after that creates all the issue. None of us mind having a conversation about in the beginning, but it's what the problem is, is when you put God there. That's the issue. And so people have been trying everything they can to erase it out, but I'll tell you the truth, that all these years, men and women, great minds and thinkers have come and gone, and beloved, behold, still stands the Word of God. That's what Peter says. Amen, sister. Peter says simply, guess what? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. And Peter says, and this was the Word that was preached unto you. So I want to ask you today, those of you, again, who are not yet believers, I want to be gentle. But is you need to deal with some things in your heart that your desire to push God out and push him away and close him out is deep down a sinful desire to suppress the truth. That's what Romans 1 says. We want to suppress the truth of God. So why? So we can invest in our own desires and pleasures. But here's the good news. The Bible says today as you look out at your life and you see the rebellion, the good news is that God compels you to lay down that rebellion and come to Him. And you think, why? Because in the midst of our rebellion, not when we had stopped rebelling, but in the midst of our rebellion, Jesus Christ, the Creator, the Word of God that became flesh, He comes and dies in our place, satisfying the judgment and the wrath of God that is against us, that we might be forgiven and free, beloved. You see, do we think the forgiveness and freedom will come by pushing God and His Word away so that we can be free to live any way we want? But the truth is, that's just more bondage and slavery to ourselves and this sinful world. But if you want true freedom, then the Word of God says unto you, if the Son sets you free, what church? You're free indeed. Man, that's true freedom. If anyone has the Son, he has life. 
That's freedom. Peace. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you ultimately long and desire, this world can only temporarily satisfy and will lead you into greater sin and bondage. The good news is, beloved, in the beginning God, and this God is one who said steadfast on pursuing you in the sending of His only Son, that today, if you would repent and believe on Him, you should not perish. I want to say this lastly to the church today. I hope and pray that as you see this, in the beginning, God who created the heavens and the earth, you're reminded that this isn't a small-town God. Because people are going to use that against you. You just believe that because you live in Greensburg, Kentucky. You think that because all your family and everybody else just goes to church. That's, well, there's some truth to that. We are impacted by those that we've grown up with, and praise God for that. But I want us to realize today that, guess what? We can stand right here in Greensburg, Kentucky, or we can go from Denansburg to Dubai, right? We can go from Black Nat to... Berea or wherever else in between and the truth is guess what we're not worshiping or peddling some god that's of our hometown or our own making we are praising and proclaiming in the beginning god who created the heavens and the earth we are proclaiming the god of the universe let's go boldly church let's not shrink back in fear we're ready for their oh you live in the bible belt arguments you from that little small town with your little small thinking come on we got the word of god Let's strap on those swords and let's go. A dying world needs to hear the truth of the gospel. They're suppressing the truth. So Romans 1, they're suppressing the God of creation by the very things they see. And the Bible says that even so, they and you and I are without excuse. So the only hope for them to not continue in their rebellion is to hear this blessed and only gospel. We've got to go, church, to our job sites, to our buddies, to the nations, and say, thus saith the Lord, in the beginning, God. Behold your God, church. Worship Him. Praise Him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, what a joy that you've given us your word. What a treasure. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word to us. Thank you. God, for the hope that we can have, the sure and steadfast anchor of in the beginning God. Thank you, Lord, for dying in our place, saving us from our rebellion, God, our suppression of the truth. Thank you, God, for your mercy and grace unto us. I pray now, Lord, as we begin this time in Genesis, Lord, as long as you will, we're going to do our best to preach this word. Father, would you awaken us to hear the truth of the gospel? Would you show us the hard places of our heart where we're rebelling and suppressing the truth of God? And I pray that there would be such joy and freedom and breaking out of that sin and bondage and coming not to a local deity, but the God of all creation in the beginning, God. Thank you, Lord. We praise you because all glory is due you. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they still exist and will continue. We love you, Father. We bow confessing you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,